Welcome to Talking Infrastructure, the podcast brought to you by global infrastructure consultancy, ACOM. In this series, we'll be discussing the hot topics, key projects, and innovations that are helping to solve some of the world's most complex infrastructure challenges. Hello, and welcome to Talking Infrastructure. Today's podcast focuses on skills, in particular, a conversation about the engineer of the future. What skills will they have? What tech will they use? And how do we plan, develop and recruit a workforce fit for what lies ahead? To discuss the topic, I'm joined by three guests who not only share a strong passion for engineering, but also a commitment to developing the skills we need for the future. Firstly, dialed in from Northern Ireland is Dr. Sarah Venning, CEO of Northern Ireland Water. Prior to her current role, Sarah was Customer Operations Manager at Northern Ireland Electricity, which she joined after graduating from Queen's University Belfast with a Master's in Electrical and Electronic Engineering. CEO of NI Water since 2014, Sarah brings a passion for excellence that is helping drive transformative change at the company. And then... Here in the studio with me, I'm joined by Dr. Alice Bunn, who is Chief Executive of the Institution of Mechanical Engineers. In her role as Chief Executive, Alice supports the mission of improving the world through engineering. Formerly, she was the International Director at the UK Space Agency, responsible for increasing the UK's global influence in science, security and trade through space. And then finally, we've got ACOM's energy lead for Europe and India, Eloise John. With a background in electrical engineering and almost 20 years experience in the energy sector, she brings together ACOM's integrated approach to help clients navigate the transition to a low carbon energy model. Welcome, everybody. Hi, James. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay. Now we're talking about skills of the future, but let's talk about what advice you'd give to people right now just an easy question to start things off um and eloise will be coming to you first it's the tradition that we always go to the acom guests okay. first um if you were advising somebody now at the start of their career what would be the one skill that you tell them or advise them to develop right now it's a great question to start with um the basics don't change so concentrate on that but actually the added value piece around storytelling how you communicate and how you get people to understand that you know engineering and engineers are the future of what will create a better world for us so getting that connection between people and ideas will be the piece I would say so all in all the storytelling element of how we go about doing and delivering our projects and working with our clients. So bringing people along, telling that the narrative that goes with it and ensuring yeah. people see the benefits, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sarah, I think talking about communications, dialed in from Northern Ireland, would you agree? Communications, what else would you advise somebody to to embrace? So, so my, my focus again was on people skills of getting the best from people um, and, and working collaboratively with them, playing to the strengths of others. So it's maybe not all just about engineers it's how you can get the best from everybody around you and my last little trivial tip is for anybody starting out learn how to touch type your life will be so much quicker and much more productive if you can touch type as opposed to one finger type 
<laughs> Alice, are you are you adept at touch typing? No, I'm not. No. <laughs> but you know, there's all sorts of um, you know support out there now, aren't there? Autocorrect, and yeah, that's got us into a lot of trouble in the past. <laughs> um, strike one to Eloise. Communications, um, I think, is really, really, really important. Um, I suppose back in the day. Engineers just spoke to other engineers. That's not the world we live in now. We're increasingly required to deal with all sorts of people. I'm a massive fan of plain English. And I think it's really, really important that you can communicate directly and just take up all the opportunities there are. I mean, like many, I was a skint student and there were some competitions with prize money attached to them. So I would enter those competitions. Um, but had the real benefit of enhancing communication skills. Now, I think it was really interesting straight away, all the skills that you've you've brought to that conversation and what we sort of maybe look at the sort of the softer skills. And actually, when people talk about engineering, they often think that's there are other things that would come first. Do those recommendations that you've, you've made there, do they correspond to what you wish you'd been advised? I think they do. I think they do. Um, because you use communications in so many different ways, you know, ways that you wouldn't imagine at the beginning of your career. So, for instance, you know, in my old job, I spent a lot of time working in the European Space Agency, and that's 22 countries coming together. You're having meetings in four different languages. Everything is being transcribed as you speak, and you sit behind a microphone like this. It's quite daunting, actually. And if you can get beyond that... Um, you're going to be much more effective at communicating your points. So I think it's really important. Eloise, do you wish you'd been advised about greater communication skills when you were starting off? Yeah, and to sort of go a bit towards what, what Sarah was saying, when I started out my career, I naively thought everybody thought like I did. Um, and uh, the company I first worked for sent me on a course called Understanding Self and Others, and it was a massive light bulb for me. Um, I had no idea that not everybody was um, like me and I had to learn how to work with other people. Um, and it, I'm very fortunate that I managed to do that at that point in my career. And that's navigated me really well throughout. And Sarah, you were coming, looking to come in there. Yeah. So I, I think from my perspective, in my early career, I thought the biggest skill and the best was to be the best, to be the most technical that I could be. That would be the greatest achievement. Um, and yeah, I do wish someone had said to me, actually, take a step back. That won't be what drives you forward and it won't be what helps you get the most done. So being a great people person, making others feel comfortable. Um, and then, you know, I think in, in, in careers, people maybe move on from I need to be the best to I need to have all the answers. So engineers think that they're problem solvers and they have to solve all the problems. But actually now, today, what is more important is how you, you don't have to solve them all. You have to be able to work with a whole range of people and you'll get a much better solution. So um, I definitely didn't start out with with those with that advice and it is good advice. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. Now, it's of course important to us that we're creating the content and discussing the topics that matter to you. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please take a minute to fill out our survey with a link to which you can find in the show notes. You could even win a talking infrastructure mug for your troubles. Thank you for listening. Now back to the episode. Has the role, has the job, it's a very direct thing to say the position of an engineer because there's such a wide varied positions of engineers, but has that changed since you started your careers? Dare I ask if it's more complex now than it was? (laughs) Uh, And if it is more complex, how so? Yeah, I mean, I think it is personally. Um, I think that from a kind of technical perspective, because nowadays we need to consider a much greater um, you know, variety of, of issues. I'm thinking about sustainability. I'm thinking about critical materials. I'm thinking about energy. I'm thinking about, you know, all these sorts of things you have to factor into a design, perhaps in a way that you didn't before. Um, certainly for the space sector, right? Back in the day, it was just a great big empty space. Um, not so much now. Um, so we have to think about the operating environment. You think about space debris. So technically, I would say there's often a lot more complexity. Um, But directly to your point, I think also engineers now do have to deal with society more. They should, right? Because I I firmly believe that the majority of society's big challenges will only be solved by engineering. I think um, net zero is a greatest example of an engineering challenge. And of course, to be successful, you can't just, you know, sit in your box and do your engineering, you've got to talk to finances, you've got to talk to, you know, legal advice, you've got to talk to society, you've got to talk to public, you've got to convince people that this is a really important endeavour. So I think it is broader. Eloise, would you agree? And it goes back to your point about storytelling, I suppose. Yeah, it does. Um, It's quite a moral burden, actually, if you think about it for for too long. Um, We have so much to give to society to enable net zero is one example, to enable leveling up, to um, provide energy security um, to, to the, the country as a whole. It, it's, a, it's a huge burden to carry. Um, and you roll into that some of the aspects around AI, which I'm sure we'll move on to talk to later in more detail. Um, but just sitting there and knowing that the basics of the chemistry or how the el- electrons move it's not good enough anymore you you need you need to be carbon literate you need to be bringing in people to the conversation that enables you to look at the challenge that you're trying to solve in a slightly different way to maybe how you would have done 5 10 you know 15 years ago and Sarah, has that has that been reflected with your career as well have you seen i think if we think back to early careers um it was a very structured world. It was very rule-based. There was prescribed paths and there was probably a prescribed uh, pace. And, 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 you know, this sort of stuff, you don't need to get ahead of yourself. And that has all changed. So it's much more free-flowing now. I think our disciplines are blending. So it, it, it you don't stay in a swim lane because we have to talk and we have to learn from each other. And even if I think about my world where I started in, electricity, I've moved into the water utility and their world of civil engineers. But what are we all talking about? Net zero generation energy from waste. So it is all very much blending and I think the complexity comes because um for us all with very 
structured and organised mind, we have to deal with a whole lot more chaos now. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a little bit more complex. Is our, I mean, this is the, the crux of the, 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 the conversation, really, but are we developing the right workforce to cope with these complexities? And uh, if we, you know, Alice, what are the role for people, organisations like IMEKE? How do you see your, your role in trying to meet that challenge? Yeah, it's really interesting how you pose that question. You know, are we developing mm. the next generation? Actually, it's now that we yeah. need to develop. So I love this. There's a there's a statistic. I can't remember where it comes from, but let's go with it. Um, it is said that 85% of the jobs that we will do in 2030 are unknown today. But it is also true that 80% of the workforce that will be in place in 2030 is already in place today, right? So you just wrap your head around that and think, wow, that really, I think, hammers home the argument for the need to be constantly upskilling, reskilling throughout careers. So, you know, the question about whether or not we're bringing through the next generation is, of course, you know, to point, but I think it's equally to point um, uh, that we need to be developing in career as well. And that is indeed where the Institution of Mechanical Engineers can help you very much indeed, because it is about that lifelong learning. It's about that ability to network, um, ability to share best practice with your peers. Um, Eloise, Sarah, what do you think is the role for, for organisations like, like ACOM, like NI Water, in, in playing a role in this? So it's essential. And actually, the, the the role has got to be about the collaboration between us as consultants and our, and our clients. Um, it's definitely more about uh, what you can do together than than individually. I think, sort of building on what Alice was saying, that there was a recent report by Powerful Women and National Grid that said uh, in the energy sector, to meet our 2050 targets, there are 400,000 missing people with the right skills, um, which is how you get your head around that is just incredible. Um Building bottom-up. So my son's doing a GCSE in construction and the built environment. Amazing. That wow. was definitely not on the agenda no. when I did my GCSEs. Um, and then our approach to apprentices, that that's moving forward and it's very, very different to what it looked like even five, ten years ago. But we need to do more in that space as, as a, an employer. We need to embrace the um, government levies that are available to us um, to build that capability and capacity throughout our business and then ultimately as an employer and engineer we need to remain curious we need to keep asking those questions and be part of our institutions uh, and and give back throughout the um, institutions like we have the ability to do just I don't know how much effort we put into it and does it need to be more Sarah, when we, we spoke the other day, we talked a little bit about uh, apprentices um, and you talked about some of the, the, the moves that you're making to, to level up when it comes to the skills and the people you're employing. Can you, can you expand on that for the, the rest of the group? Yeah, so I suppose that thinking about this workforce and where is the workforce and are you closing yourself off to big to large swathes of the workforce? So something that we would see here um, in Northern Ireland, maybe is that um, uh, larger deprived areas, and 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 from in deprived areas, fifty percent of the young people from those disadvantaged backgrounds can leave school with no qualifications, and we are then closing ourselves off to those people 
if we asked for prescribed formal um, qualifications. So one of the things that we looked at, um, because where I'm headquartered here, it is on a very deprived, com- was, a, was a conflict area in Northern Ireland. Um, and so we've dropped the requirements for GCSE miles in our entry-level um, apprenticeship programme. And we're bringing people in. We've been targeting recruitment in um, areas of social deprivation, unemployment black spots, maybe rural areas um, to widen our, our, our pool. We've been thinking about um, how is it that um, we can give opportunities to people regardless of their social background. So if you come and work for us, we'll put you through um, your driving test so that, you know, then we can give you a van, then you're, then you're, you're mobile. And um, that concept, which everyone's doing, but works so well for for people of of earn as you learn, um, and and the ability to come in, to gain qualifications and to progress through, um, and and that's an important uh, strategy that we have deployed, um, that sort of grow our own as opposed to go out looking for the ready-made talent, um, but we're seeing some success with that, and, and it was a brief step, and it's a brief step in a technical science-based organization to say, no, really, we are going to drop the requirements for GCSE maths. We'll test for skills, we'll test for capability, um, but we'll drop the requirements for the formal qualification. Now, we're in cohort one um, and and it's working well so far, uh, so we'll see how we go. But we're pleased to be able to do that. I think that's really interesting. It throws up the question about the, the the role of academia now. And how, you know, you talk about your son's GCSE and that's a, clearly a qualification that was was never around when, certainly when I was growing up. But how does academia keep up with that? Because again, we, we, we now appreciate now, I think, that the skills that people bring aren't always what we would have seen as conventional graded skills. So what advice do we have for looking back at schools and universities, et cetera, to make sure that they're providing what industry needs and what the world needs. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I'm amazed to learn about your son's GCSEs. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think Sarah's story is really inspiring and really really brave to take that step of, you know, dropping the, the mass GCSE requirement. How does academia keep up? I don't know. I mean, they're trying, aren't they? T-levels coming in. That's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding is that's still taking quite a while to embed. And... It is still a very academic path to take. I think at one point there was um, perhaps a perception out there that the T-levels would be a bit easier, you know, if you're not a very academic character. And I don't think that's true at all. I think it's just packaged up differently with a greater connection into industry, which is great. Um, But, you know, intuitively it feels like there's more scope for that. There's more scope for vocational skills. And, um, you know, I love the, you know, earn as you learn approach. I think there is definitely more to be done there. And I was really inspired again to hear about the commitment from AACOM about thinking about apprenticeships and levies because, you know, the job's not done. Mm. And I think, you know, Ella, you were talking about the, the jobs, that, 85% of the jobs that we'll be doing yeah. in 20 years' time or whatever the statistic is that we don't really know yet. Eloise, <laughs> um, we were talking the other day about the, the skills in your team and, you know, you're heavily working in energy transition, a huge area of priority for, for lots of organisations, if not everybody in the world really, or should be, you should say. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to our Talking Infrastructure Season 3 podcast. If you have a minute, we'd love it if you could leave a review as this helps us to reach other people and a much wider audience. Thank you for listening. Now back to the episode. How are the skills that you're identifying for your team changing and, and how are you keeping up? Good, great question. So I'm quite proud that this year we've invested in our first computational designer. If you, you know, in our business, we wouldn't have done that um, a year or two ago. And we have now, and we've got a second joining shortly. That's a massive step forward for us, sort of recognizing the need to have that skill within our traditional engineering business. Um, we connect a lot into our colleagues in India. Um, India are producing, as a nation, electrical engineers. It's a career of choice, um, and, and that's giving us an, a capacity that we can't access necessarily right now in the UK. Um, the apprenticeship route is really helping us, specifically within our nuclear team. We talked about growing growing your own, and in that, in that sector in particular, there's a missing generation gap of workforce when nuclear wasn't so popular and mm-hmm. wasn't understood to the extent it's understood now. Um, and so that, that's been a, an ability for us to create a team of people that we wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Um, keeping up is difficult. It, it really is. It's um, an ongoing daily, weekly, monthly challenge. And sort of to go back to your previous question, is our responsibility to connect in with academia and to keep that communication line open um, so that that we can help them understand what they need to be supporting the next generation to do to enable us to deliver what we have to deliver for our clients. And Sarah, are you are you seeing that the roles changing in NI Water? The kind of people that you're trying to attract and the, the the job specifications that you need. Yeah, very much so. And I think earlier earlier you said, how are we developing? How do we know we will have the right workforce? And and really. We don't. Um, so what do we know and what can we do? I think we have to create a space where people can learn, can change, can innovate, can work together, have a bit of a, have, have a freedom that they didn't have before to come up with different thinking and, and different solutions. So um, I very much see that. And then the other point, the other part is you can't do this as an organization yourself. So w- where can you harness and, and find inspiration externally, um, whether that be so, you know, through your supply chain. Um, I think I think that's pretty important as well, and 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 that has worked for us in some in some instances. Where even with startups, working with startups has got a great idea, but they need they need uh, proof of concept. So how how, how can we um, enable that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Just to jump in, you, you know, your question was about, you know, academia and what are they doing and they're doing enough. And I think like what comes out in all these responses is, you know, that's just not how it works anymore. Mm. You know, you don't go to school, learn everything and then go into a job. You know, the expectation is we are all playing a part. We are all making a contribution throughout career, you know, be that through the workplace or be that through, you know, a professional institution such as mine. So how on earth do you plan your career? <laughs> if I'm listening to this and I'm significantly younger than I am now and I'm thinking, right, I, what am I going to do for the next 30, 40 years of my professional life? But we don't know what the jobs are going to be. 
<laughs> oh, come on, who did? Who planned their career? <laughs> right, it all maps out. Thank this you. is exactly where I'm meant to be. This is exactly where I'm meant to be. You can make sense of it, you know, retrospectively, can't you? But... Sorry. No, I think no, I think you do make a very good point there. But I do think that I think it's probably there is an element of having a, an open mind to, to the fact that you aren't going to have one set career that things are going to move and i think even in my professional career over the last 25 years i think we've all seen a far more of a shift in the fact that people aren't having any you know, of this portfolio career idea people are retraining and you know personally i'm sort of on my third career so i'm, I'm a great believer that these things can work um but i think if you're listening now what advice do you would you give to people to say actually this is how you keep an open mind. This is how you keep yourself agile and, and open to the jobs that are coming and the opportunities. I suppose that's what more what I'm trying to get to is as someone starting their career, how do you make sure that you are in a position to take advantage of the opportunities that come along? At the very early stages of your career, the best advice is never say no, just try everything. Yeah. And then you get to a point where actually you need to be a little bit more picky and you need to decide on what you're going to do that's going to advance you as a professional. Um, so when you were sort of posing that question, the words that were coming to my head were adaptability, the, the, the curious word, um, just keep learning, it, it completely paramount. Um, and we talk a lot about mentoring in our careers, but also having your champions around you um, and having that diverse pool of people to bounce ideas around. Um, you know, I've we're probably not that diverse in this in this room. You know, three three women who have made um, successful careers uh, probably got very similar backgrounds. Um, so having people you can talk to that see life through a different lens to you uh, is massively important. The next, um, yeah, so sorry, go on, go oh, on, Sarah. I, I was probably just going to jump in on the on the pace of you know. So uh, don't plan don't get hung up on the plan and I am not because if you get hung up on the plan you're constraining yourself so I agree with the say yes take the opportunities in the, in, in the early career and probably other pieces well I believe in yourself so you can do a whole lot more than you think you can and, and personal resilience is, is probably another piece um, that is important to enable you to adapt because you're going to be hit with a change. There will be an opportunity. You might have to take a bit of a leap. Um, and, and so it's A, I can do more than I think. And B, I can have a degree of resilience, try to develop that great degree of resilience. When we talk about resilience and we talk about things changing at pace, you mentioned it earlier, Eloise, and we can't talk about the engineer of the future without talking about AI, talking about artificial intelligence. Um, it's something that obviously has been around for a long time, but it really feels like in the last 12, 18 months, it's suddenly been really thrust upon us. Um, personally, I had, I had a, 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 an, a, an AI trainer, external trainer come in and speak to my marketing and comms team this week, which was absolutely fascinating and terrifying at yes. the same, same, uh, in the same way. Um, how are you starting to see things changing with, with AI? How are you? And I always say to people about it, talking about AI as an opportunity rather than a threat. But how are we? How do you keep pace with it? How do you make sure that you are using it for the opportunity that it is? It's really difficult because there is a risk element associated with with it. We call mm. it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we do it through a few mechanisms. Um, 
networking with our clients and uh, in uh, institutions, for example, to make sure that we're keeping up to speed with their their level. Um, the graduates that are coming through know so much more that, than than we do, and we are entering a space where just because you've got fifteen years experience, you may not have the knowledge associated with the specific task that that, that we're doing. Uh, and so making sure that we've got those connections. Simple things like at the start of a meeting this week, um, we had our global energy and environmental leads over and we were doing some strategy workshops. So at the start of the meeting, we did a values moment on AI and just picked a couple of things that could be changing our business in in the not too distant future. So making sure that we're sort of talking up the way as well. Um, I'm not 100% sure I'm asking your que- answering your question here, James, am I? Well, I mean, say so if I can tell us a story about the podcast. Mm. So when we started launch this season back at the end of end of last year, um, one of my my systems guys took a video that I'd filmed in the studio, introducing the podcast, put it through an AI um, translation tool, um, and then sent it to me. And it was a, a video of me talking to that camera there, uh, but in Spanish. And my lips are moving and I'm speaking Spanish. And it's James Banks speaking Spanish. I I cannot speak Spanish. And it was that moment of you kind of almost want to hide from it because you don't know what to do with it. And it instantly gets in a too hard bucket. And I've shown it to lots of people. I've shown it to my team in Madrid. Apparently, it's 90% there, although I am a little bit Mexican. (laughs) <laughs> um, so there is room to improve there, and I may well actually splice it into this into this video because people, it, it, yeah, it's 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 incredible. But it's that: how do we use that, and how do we we don't just put it in the too hard bucket? We think about the ethical yeah. dilemma of about well, am I fraudulently pretending that I can speak Spanish when clearly I can't, and how can we make facilitate that? But I think that's I think that's a question that we're all asking at the moment: how yeah. can we use this? How can we embrace it? How can we make sure that we're keeping up to speed with it and being part of the conversation? Yeah, and it's here. And keeping right? people safe. Yeah, exactly. So, I, mean, that, I think, Sarah, I, yeah. you know, as a corporate, you're, you, we've been having conversations about how do we give people the tools to play with it in a way that they're not playing with it in open source and putting your data and your yeah. information out when you don't want it to be out. Um, so, so we've had a thought on that. And then I think, Alois, that piece of talking to others and learning from others. So um, we've used uh, something over here called Small Business uh, Research Initiative to work with some startups to, you know, see some end use for, for AI um, in a very, very practical and basic sense. But, you know, if you can take small steps, then you can gain a bit of familiarity. People can get a bit of experience to it and then maybe you can progress. So we're not going to jump to full um, implementation across the board, but uh, we're open to it. And, and James, I think it was you that said, uh, well, we're open to the opportunity of it as well as considering the threat. But it's is, it is tricky, tricky, tricky. And, and we certainly don't have the answer. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, I mean, just 12 months ago, right, we were still talking about this and we're talking about it, talking about regulation. Yeah. um, As though there is this kind of one-size-fits-all solution. That's clearly not true. You know, the way in which we might use AI to improve, I don't know, uh, you know, an administrative task 
versus the way in which we might use AI for some kind of safety critical function is going to be vastly different, mm -hmm. right? So if we do ever get to regulation, it's going to be in verticals. It's not going to be in horizontals, depending on how we're using it. Um, but boom, it's here, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We, we can't keep talking about it. It's here. We've got to work it out. And I do think there's a lot to be said for, you know, as, as both Sarah and Eloise were saying, in that sharing of best practice, because, you know, you're not going to get around it. You can get on board and you get left behind. Mm -hmm. So I think all that we can do to to make sure that we are sharing best practice in a safe way um, is the way forward. It's funny, I was thinking about it the other day. It's not dissimilar in my old, you know, space world. Um, we used to talk about it in the operating environment and, you know, there all the norms and, you know, regulations were set ultimately by the UN, mm -hmm. right? Which is this, as most people would, I think, agree, a very, very, very slow moving beast. It just isn't suitable to keep up with the pace of technological change. And I think that's where we are with AI as well. Yeah. So we have to find, you know, like-minded actors to work with to find a safe way of taking advantage of yeah. the opportunity. Because at the end of the day, right, I'm sounding a bit bleak. It is really a, a fantastic opportunity. It um, is. It is. And I think it's, I think for me, it's that, and I sort of said to my team, I just, I want you to be part of the conversation and just get up to speed with it as much as you can and look at how we can use it as an opportunity, not as a threat. Um, and you've got to be part of it. Um, it was really interesting. The, the trainer that came in, you know, he, the, the the presentation he gave me was changed from the week before because he said, "I'm sorry, it's not what I'm, I told you I'd present because it's changed since then." And I'm sure if I brought him in next week, he'd say the same again. So yeah, it's yeah. it's fascinating, absolutely terribly exciting, very fascinating. Want more insights from infrastructure industry experts? Check out our latest Future of Infrastructure Global Research Report. In it, we explore one of the most complex, important shifts happening across the world today, the energy transition and what it means for you. We surveyed nearly 850 senior executives and interviewed public and private sector leaders to find practical, profitable, predictable, and people-centric pathways to net zero. To explore the research, please visit infrastructure.aecom.com. Thank you for listening. Now back to the episode. Now, you mentioned then about bringing in best practice. If we, the role of traditional engineering, as you say, you say you've all come from very similar backgrounds. Um, are we going to see more sort of cross-pollination from different industries in the future? Looking at people, but as you say, people don't have a, a set career as an engineer. They may well go work in different industries. Are we going to move away from that? Are we going to be looking to best practice from other areas, other industries, other professions to to make our engineers more aware? I, I think inevitably. I think, you know, it, the engineering discipline changes, you know, from top to bottom. I mean, I can speak on, again, on the space sector, you know, space missions used to be one-offs, hmm. you know, exquisite pieces of engineering that would be painstakingly, uniquely developed. Now it's mass manufacture. Right. Mm -hmm. It's loads of, you know, shoebox sized small satellites. So the skills already, the skills that you need for that are completely different. They're not coming out of, you know, exquisite university labs. They're they're, you know, coming off the, the manufacturing line, they really are. So that changes already. But I suppose it's a bit to what we were saying before. I think 
increasingly, and again, I passionately, passionately believe that engineering will be the thing that is so important to so much societal challenge. So inevitably, it's going to touch across wider disciplines, you know, be they legal, financial, um, societal, etc. Sarah, are yeah. you seeing... Sorry, go on. I, 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 think, that, I think that is the case. Um, maybe I, some, some of the spin that I might have on it is, Engineers, yes, and engineering is important, but understanding behaviour is equally as important. So we have some really smart, talented people. We, so if you even just think about water, um, and what do we need to do here? We need to use less. We need to use a whole lot less water right across Northern Ireland is, is, is really bad. Here we're using about 165 litres of water per person. Um, across in the UK, you're trying to get down to 140 litres of water per person. In Australia, 100 litres of water per person would be too much. So we're wasteful of water and we need to reduce consumption. And that's psychology and that's behaviour um, and that's not purely, can't be driven just by engineering solutions. And engineers have to think, uh, Eloise talked about the story, the why, why, why do we need to use less water? Um, and, and so the, the combination of the story and then what makes people change their behaviour um, all starts to come together to get the outcome that is needed, um, which factors into big engineering solutions. So um, I definitely think, and I, and I think that cross-disciplinary of you know, energy is coming in to everything, sustainability is coming in, carbon is coming in. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we just can't uh, think about the electrons. Um, or the chemical com- uh, makeup of, of materials. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that cross pollination and, and just it, it will change or it has changed. Yeah, absolutely. So, one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for this podcast was the systems in systems thinking. Um, so, you know, the fact that um, an industrial client may have excess heat or energy of some form, how do you reuse that? Um, to help somebody who needs that heat or capacity. Um, actually, a, a colleague of mine, Helena, tells a very good story around as uh, um, toddlers were taught to share and as adults, we want our own car and our own driveway with our own garden. Uh, and that mindset and that philosophy uh, needs to change because we, we, we can't continue to waste the resources that we have. And that is part of the engineer of the future that needs to be looking at that from a systems perspective, um, not just from the water perspective or just from the energy perspective. It's got, it's got to be wider than that. So you, you mentioned it again there, the engineer of the future. So are we now starting to build up a picture of what the engineer of the future looks like? Are we starting to get an answer? Clearly, there is no answer. Um, but what do we think? I've heard collaboration of communications, diversity of thought, diversity of background, professional diversity. What else is the, the engineer of the future going to need? Yeah, I, I, I take um, great heart from talking to my kids and their friends because I do find the next generation are very, very purpose-driven. And I think, mm. you know, again, back to the storytelling and all those things, actually harnessing that and being able to make engineering relatable to, you know, that purpose and the big challenges is going to be really, really important. But I, I think they've got it. Um, they've got it certainly much more than some previous generations have had. 
Sarah, what do you think? Are, they, are we heading in the right direction for the engineer of the future? Well, we have to be because we're heading towards the future. So um, I think we have to make the most of what we have. But but yes, and I think we, you know, in the, if you think about the workplace and what we're doing, certainly a lot of our development is we're not sending people purely to go and do um, technical courses. We're taking that as a given almost. You have that. That's your basic. That's your entry level now. Um, and we're trying to develop and create the space for them to more and more interact and interact with different people and different, I think, uh, as mentioned before, different industries as well. So, you know, I'm in a utility, but we're thinking about production lines and uh, production, how we uh, do make our work think like a production line and, and that has has driven so much improvement and process the whole systems thing is you know uh including the farmers thinking about your catchments where does the water come from where will the wastewater go to um and it, all those kinds of things um are, are we're working on um so look i don't know if we have all the answers um but we're certainly progressing towards the future so we just have to do our best I think that's all we can do. Yeah, I don't think I've got anything to add. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> right. Okay. So, final question, the simple question. What's the key piece of advice? I asked you at the beginning what you'd send back, but what is the key piece of advice um, that you believe is crucial for our listeners? What's the key takeaway you'd leave, we leave with them today in terms of preparing for the future? And that could be somebody at the beginning of their career. It could be somebody in the middle or it could be someone in the end. Yeah, I'd sort of touch on that, actually, because I think the key takeaway is lifelong learning. Mm. You know, the the world is changing. It's, it's happening all the time. The pace of change is accelerating. And, you know, what's, you know, going to equip you for that is, you know, put on your seatbelt <laughs> and be prepared for, you know, for change, for lifelong learning. Embrace those as opportunities. Sarah? I do think, and I, I, I see it and I feel it in my work. And, and it's, I suppose it's why I'm still here and I'm still in the water industry 14 years later. I do feel every day is a school day. I learn something new all the time. And I'm never doing the same thing. So be open to, to learning and to new experiences. And I guess back to something I think I said earlier, you can do more than you think. So don't, don't close yourself off. So mine would probably be um, have fun because life's too short not to have fun and to do it all with enthusiasm, take the challenge on. Brilliant. Lifelong learning. Every day is a school day. Have fun. I think that's a, a very good place to, to end today's <laughs> podcast. A huge thank you, Sarah dialed in from, from Northern Ireland and Alice and Eloise in the studio with me today. It's been a, it's been a fantastic podcast. I've really, really learned a lot. Certainly it's been a school day for me today. So, so thank you very much for your contribution. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, then please like or subscribe, leave a review and of course, tell your friends and colleagues. And, of course, feel free to plug it on social media. I'll be back soon with the next episode of Talking Infrastructure. Until then, take care and goodbye. <laughs>